Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? This is going to be so much fun today. We have on the president of the Queen of Shade, the Queen of Shade herself, a true pioneer. She's a performer. She calls herself an intellectual entertainer, which we want to hear about, a social media influencer and guru, a mentor, a content creator, a brand ambassador, a singer and songwriter. Oh, and if that isn't enough, she's a shaman, oracle, prophet, and excuse the pun, I'm seriously having an out-of-body experience. She's about to tell our audience all about everything that she finds purpose with on her Cyber Girl podcast. We can't wait into her magical powers. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that welcome. That, that That's like weird to me as you were reading. I'm like, I'm like who is this? Who, who are we? Like she started to read and I'm like, okay, somebody else coming on today? <laughs> it's all you. That's great. So it sounds like mentoring has had a place in your life. Oh my. Yeah. You know what? Mentoring changed my well, career. That, that's it what I was about to ask you. I was about to ask you. Yes. Go ahead. Go for it. Mentoring changed the trajectory of my career. And I want to say in 2008, I first took to YouTube and I started singing. It was just, it was a decision. It was my first time coming to the public that way. Mm-hmm. I started doing covers. I sang everybody. I, I'm a countertenor. So when we talk about my music and we hear that, I'm a countertenor. So that means I'm a mezzo-soprano. I've been a mezzo-soprano since I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. And it never changed. Puberty happened. It never changed. So YouTube was how I first got out there. And it was so crazy because I never went viral or anything, but I always met the right people. Like the right people were always watching me. So then one thing led to another. And then I met production and, and, you know, studio people. and, And then I started to hop from YouTube to other platforms. And it just so happens that Instagram was the platform for me. That's the one that went the biggest. But um, I said all of that to say this, pre-COVID, pre-corona, it was all about my music. It was all about my music. It was all about, you know, I was still doing the Queen of Shade inspiration videos, but it was still about marketing the music. Corona hit, and for a person like we were just speaking before we started recording, I'm the type of person where I don't go out much. I like it that way. So Corona hit and then I really couldn't go out. So it was like, uh, okay, how are we going to make money now? (laughs) (laughs) So then it just, one day it was just somebody said to me, somebody was like, you know, I want to pay you to talk to me. I want to pay you for your guidance and your wisdom and your experience. That's how it got started. And mentoring 
kept my business afloat the whole pandemic. Uh And it launched my business in a new, like in a new way. I gained more followers. It just, it was crazy. Mentoring is now, it's my bread and butter. I still do the, like I, like (laughs) me, I'm like, I'm an avid songwriter. It only takes me about 15 seconds. I mean, 15 minutes to write a song Mm -hmm. so I can write them and put them out. I'm like, we'll talk about this, but I am a workaholic. Okay. We're going to get into it. I, I, Mass production is what I do. So you said two things there, and I want to don't want to miss either one of them. You know, right. this mentor piece, was it all of your life or just specifically during that period of time that it really took you to the next level? It was literally during that period of time. I like because all of my life, I was having the, la- I call them life lessons, the growing pains, mm-hmm. the upsets, the letdowns, the emotional roller coaster. I was having all of that experience so that I could get the wisdom. Okay. So then during the pandemic, it was like, it was just me going, like, you know, regaling what I had been through. I've been through a lot. We'll get into it. I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. And then it was the first time that the light bulb ever went on for me and said, uh, you could use this Mm. you know like I was using it in my music like my music sometimes can be very poignant and sad because like I'm talking about what I've gone through and and um I usually set it to danceable beats but no like when I really focused my trajectory on mentoring blossomed queen of shade got better everybody everything got better so let's go back a little bit and tell us who you were 15 years ago versus who you are today 15 years ago, my name was Kali Payton. Okay. <laughs> Kali Payton was a young kid from the inner city, North Philadelphia, inner city of uh, Philadelphia, Northern Philadelphia, who had get, was given the opportunity to move to the suburbs for educational purposes mm. with his grandmother, who was, and well, she's retired now. She was an educator. She was a teacher. So... You would think, oh, okay, well, that's that's good. But no, my family was a very poor family. We, we all of us were from Northern Philadelphia. So when my grandmother moved, it kind of what became a situation where everybody depended on her anyway. She was the matriarch. I was a child at that, at that time. We literally were crammed eight people in a two-bedroom apartment. I slept on the floor from seventh grade to 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't easy in the living room. It wasn't easy, but... I now today, we'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of you, but um, today that has made me who I am and I'm so thankful for it. But what I'm saying is there are, there have been obstacles. 15 years ago, that was even or even earlier, but I want to say that was what I was carrying. Yeah, I got it. Then when I entered, when I entered into the 15 year period, because I've had therapy for about 14 Don't years, get ahead so of we, us. Don't right? get ahead of us. Yeah, I want to get ahead. <laughs> so, okay. So 15 years ago, my name was Kali Payton, and I was trying to figure out a way to manage my mental health and still have my career in entertainment. Okay. Because before that, I was unsuccessful with the balance. Okay. I could not balance them. So I had a lot of ideas. Uh, one thing about me, I'm really good at writing. I wrote everything down that I wanted to do, but I had no money and no way to really execute those things. So at that time, I was literally getting ready to start therapy. My grandmother, I can't live with my grandmother because I had lost another job, you know, mental illness. I had lost another job. I had lost another apartment, but I had been YouTubing and I had a little bit of a presence and I didn't want to lose that presence. It was the first time I ever had people, as I, as I say, accept me for me being 
part of the LGBT community, being a cross-dresser, not trans, not transgendered, but a, a, a transvestite, being a cross-dresser, being a feminine, you know, it was the first time I'd ever had a group of people, a body of people say that's okay. Yes. So I started then, I'm like that. It happened first. And then my magical mind was like, well, you need a brand and you've got to do this. And nobody had to tell me how to do those things. But 15 years ago, I was starting that. So I got a new name. I became Bjorn Dufault. And then I launched two LLCs. That's what I did. Now, mind you, never having a business, never having a business ever before in my life, not knowing, but did a lot of reading and a lot of research. Uh, I launched two LLCs. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna so to stop you there. Continue. I'm going to stop you there because yep. I want to ask you about this, going yep. to a yep. new school. So there's yep. this, you know, mythology, I call it, in the education community that believes if you take the child out of the inner city and pluck them into a, an environment that's receiving, unfortunately, a higher level of education just because of where the yes. location is, that all the child's problems will disappear. And clearly what you're right. saying is that is not true. And I've been saying that for many years, that children of right. color, children from impoverished communities that are just plucked out to go to wealthy environments, to go to school, the school has no right. idea the amount of complications that creates in the child's life. Can you talk about right. that a little bit? Because I think that's an important note to hit. Yeah. What that experience gave me. Now, mind you, we're talking a long time sure. ago because literally I'm 39. Mm -hmm. So, but... um that experience, you are so right. As a child being plucked from the inner city, I, I, I want to stay there for a second. The inner city was very hard on me. I was beat up every day. Mm -hmm. I was chased home. I was bullied for being gay at a very young age, very early age, being effeminate. So it was not easy. So I jumped at the idea of leaving the hood mm -hmm. and being placed in a better environment only to find out that just because I was being placed in an environment did not mean that my troubles would go away. Yes. Did not mean that my, and that was the thing, though I was being educated, all of the adults around mm. me were still who they were go. In, in the inner, inner city, if you understand what I'm okay. saying. They were still them. I was receiving the education, but at the same time, you are right, my, my home life was hell. Mm -hmm. And then what I... Uh, my God, I'm going to go there. So I, I had this one family member because what happens is my mother, when, when I was really young, my grandmother took us from my mother. I'm the oldest of four children. My mother did, did drugs. Now I'm 39. My mother did drugs uh, for 25 years of my life, had mental illness. My father, mental illness, never really was there. My mother was 17 when she had me. My father was 28. I always say this on my podcast and every chance that I get that's their crime, I'm not concerned, mm. but it is statutory rape. But anyway, it just, the amount of baggage, I will say, that I was internalizing and carrying, mm -hmm. no one knew. Right. I looked like I was adjusting to the environment. I looked like I was getting on with my life, mm -hmm. but I wasn't. It's perfectly said. Perfectly. Thank yeah. you. I want to yeah. add to that on the heels of that. This seems incredibly timely. What was the, and I know it's hard to pick one or a couple, but what was the most challenging part of your story that you believe others can benefit from hearing the most? You've already said so much that's beneficial, but if you had to take one theme and put it out there, what would you say? 
This is raw. It's it. raw. Give it to us. Even when you come from a broken family, you can still make something out of your life. And sometimes, most of the times, in order to do that, you're going to have to leave a lot of people behind. Mm. I don't have a relationship, and I'm glad you brought this up because I want everyone to know this. Everyone thinks, oh, everything is just amazing in his life. No, I don't have a relationship with anybody in my family except my grandmother mm -hmm. and my one nephew. Mm. I don't talk to my siblings, and we're only two years apart. It's heartbreaking. I don't have a relationship with any of my siblings. My mother is now in an assisted living facility for having a stroke. That stroke saved her life, but I did not know her. Mm. So we don't have a relationship. I love talking about these things. I don't know what it is. Uh, my father, we don't have a relationship. My uncles and aunts, we do not have a relationship. What I am trying to illustrate is that to sometimes, especially in us as Black people's lives, mm -hmm. to your new life is going to cost you your old. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's what I want people to understand. Don't be afraid to pay that price. You got to get out there, whether it is entertainment, whether it is education, whether it is, like I said, well, sports and all that same thing, entertainment, but whether it's education or sports, because, you know, there are only a couple of things Black people can mm -hmm. do. God forbid. God forbid. It's only, yeah, it's education or entertainment. Mm -hmm. So in this country, which is safe, yeah. whichever one it is, you're going to have to leave a lot of people behind. You can't take a lot of people with you. And you know, in our community, the idea of not staying connected to relatives is a, a crime. It's a crime. It's a, wait a minute. It's a sacrilege. It's, it's like literally, sacrilege. It's, it, it is the, like even the ridicule mm -hmm. that I receive today mm -hmm. when they tell me I'm full of myself, I'm self-absorbed because I don't come around or I don't call, or I think I'm hot shit. I'm just going to say yeah. it. I'm not going to edit that out. But, um, you know, I think I'm hot shit. And I'm just like, I'm sitting on the other side of 14 years of therapy, realizing that the buttons, all my triggers were installed by my family. Mm. So I'm sitting here with that knowledge. Mm. They don't know that. They've never been there. Wait, wait, stay there one second. Because I say this once, I say it a thousand times in therapy with my clients. You mm -hmm. are in therapy. Your yep. community is not. It's not. It's not. Your change affects their change. But don't expect them to know what you know, because they don't. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You and it. you can't expect you from them. Mm. Mm. Poignant. Yeah. Poignant. Yeah. The sacrilege. I want to stay there for a second. Yeah. Yes. God forbid you realize a family member is not healthy for you and you create mm -hmm. a boundary. You become a pseudo enemy to the family members who see what's wrong in you, that you have found what's healthy for you in that boundary. It's Plato's allegory of the cave. Mm. I love that allegory. I'm going to sum it up really quickly. Basically, it's a family of people that are chained inside a cave. They can only see the wall. The fire is behind them. They see images of trees, images of animals, images of what's outside. One of the younger sons breaks free, runs outside of the cave, realizes, I'm just summing it up, realizes that there are real trees, there's a real sky, mm. there's a real sun, there's real birds, real animals, goes back, 
frees his family. They tell him, no, we belong in this cave and you belong in here with me. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but no, I belong outside. There's so much more and I want to take you with me. And then they try to kill him and tell him, don't ever come back. Mm, that's deep. That's Plato's allegory of the cave. You are no longer welcome. Why? I'm just going to say this for entertainment, entertainment. We see it in entertainment. When rappers and musicians and people get out of the hood, they can't go back. Mm. Sure. They can't go back. They're not, they're not able to go back. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't understand. So they're on borrowed time if they don't, mark, you know, save their money and do what they have to do because you're no longer one of us. Yeah. You're no longer one of us. And I experience that in my family every day. Yeah, it's painful. And I'm so sorry that, you know, we haven't figured out that sometimes mental health means more than blood relationships. I have a high pain tolerance. It's okay. <laughs> Doesn't mean you should suffer. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. So... You know, you said that you have been motivated again and again, and yeah. you have been motivated to lean into your talent as a creator. Yeah. We've talked about it a little bit. Can you add anything that was the bridge that facilitated that for you? Yes. Oh boy, I love this. <laughs> Cause, but it, I, I like being able to tell, like telling is what heals me, what frees Absolutely. me, talking about it is what is what really sets me free. In 2001, I was medically withdrawn from my university. I went to a small university in upstate Pennsylvania by the name of Clarion University. I was there in 2000. I turned 18 because my birthday's in September. So I, I stepped on the campus at 17, turned 18 on the campus. I was diagnosed bipolar type one, mm -hmm. PTSD and acute anxiety disorder my second year of college. Mm -hmm. I had to be medically withdrawn. When I went into the hospital, it was just me. Mm -hmm. My family made the seven hour journey, my grandmother to see me, but she couldn't take me home with her. I had to go into the hospital. I had to be you know, cared for. And I remember crying and asking her not to leave me. And I remember her saying, this is something I can't help you with. This is something you have to do. So I remember crying a lot in that hospital because my life had just been turned upside down. I slept on a damn floor from seventh grade to 12th grade to get to college, mm. only to get to college and be put out. Mm. <laughs> and that just, it mortified and devastated me. I cried so much in that hospital. But what I also did in that hospital to soothe myself was I would sing. Mm -hmm. I would sing out loud. And I didn't care who was listening. I didn't care who wanted me to stop. I would just sing, 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 sing to the point where all of the staff would say to me, the staff would cry because they would say, you have such a beautiful voice that voice is not meant for you not to use it. And when I left that hospital, coming home to a broken family, again, that, that, whole, that whole apartment situation that I ran from and retaking my position on that floor in the living room. Mm. I cried for seven months straight. My grandmother sat on the, on the balcony with me. I cried for seven months straight. I couldn't believe I was back there. What happened was I took what they said to me in the hospital. And then my grandmother said, 
you know you're very talented. But for me, I didn't want to be a talent. I saw my father, mental illness, all over the place. Musician. He plays 95 instruments. Mm. Never could be in my life, but he plays 95 instruments. That's some kind of discipline, but you couldn't mm. be in my life. Mm. But you were disciplined enough to learn 95 instruments. Damn. And... I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to follow in his footsteps. Every time he did come around, he was always asking me to sing. He was always telling me that I would be a star. He was always telling me that, oh, I'm just waiting to see you on television. And I hated him for it. Mm. And I did not want to do it. But when I was in that hospital, I was desperate. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. And retaking my position on that floor with my younger siblings because I was 18 at that time and they were all were all two years apart they're all looking at me and they're you know there's also this stigma of you came home because you're crazy and they're looking at me like what happened and I can't tell them what happened I'm just crying all over the place and excuse me I'm just a mess something clicked inside Mm -hmm. of me something was like in case of emergencies, break the glass. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> break the glass. <laughs> you know you can sing. I've been singing. My voice has never changed. I hit puberty. My voice, I, I remember, but this is crazy. I remember praying to the divine because religion was a huge, and that was another thing. Religion was huge in my home. That destroyed me. I am not religious today. Not at all. So that destroyed me as well. But I remember literally having the same voice all of my life, but praying at that time, I was 10, walking down a suburban street by myself saying, divine, please don't ever let my voice change. It's so beautiful and it soothes me. It helps me. I like it. I need it. Don't let it change. And I kid you not, I'm 39 years old today and my voice never changed. But I went to entertainment as my last stop. It was my last stop because I kept trying. I remember trying to get back into the university and they said, no, you only came out a year ago. It's you need to really give yourself, get some therapy and get time. And I'm like, no, I just, you don't understand. I need to get out of where I am. So I need to get back here. And and they're like, no, you can't handle this. So it was a last resort. This divine said to me, you can always sing and do entertainment. And right before I was walking around, and that was the crazy thing, I was one of those people where I just have to open up a little bit about that experience being manic for five months on that university campus and no one knowing because I was always a happy-go-lucky person. Mm. I was always in high spirits. So I, I'm not type 2 bipolar disorder, which is depression. Mm. I got all the energy, all the jovial highs. I got all of that. So I just looked like I was flying. I was flying just without any landing gear. So a crash was inevitable. But that decision to go into entertainment was kind of made for me. It was like, you better do this. But you know, but you know, like, uh, you know, you talk about bipolar one, there is some depression. You didn't ever experience it or you... Only when I came home. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> only when I came home, only when I was around people that did not edify me, okay. uplift me, support me, believe in me. Mm-hmm. So 
I didn't experience those depressions when I moved away from my family. I love how often you say 14 years of therapy. I love it. I think it's great. It's so important. Normalize it. I hate that it's still a stigma in our community. I hate that mental health issues are, that one's crazy when it has nothing to do with crazy. Most of us have, most people in the country, I don't know anybody who doesn't have mental health challenges. I don't know anyone. Or have the need to to just check it every now and then. Absolutely. So the idea that our community has to feel so stigmatized by it when we deal with white supremacy and racism every day and PTSD, how could we not? have some consequences and yet we still, you know, persevere. So I I love that you say that and you work to remove the stigma because we really have to do that. We are a collective community and we have to do it together. So having said all of that, what's the one thing you would say to convince others to engage in this self-exploration of therapy? What would you say? To be honest, Mm -hmm. look at me, look at me. I am very open about everything I've experienced dealing with mental illness. It's all on my podcast. I have 235 30-minute episodes. Mm. I have poured my heart out. And then I let Mm -hmm. people know that the only reason why you have a queen of shade today is because my psychiatrist suggested I use my talent to heal myself and turn my camera on while doing it. That's great. Therapy is the only reason I am sitting here. Therapy is the only reason I am now a successful working entertainer. It's right. the only reason. You know, as therapists, we can't say it enough. I mean, we we are constantly right. saying every opportunity we get. So it's wonderful when people in other, you know, situations, professions, um, share their experience. So I much respect for that. Look, we can't get through this um, conversation without talking about uh, how Dave Chappelle has been given so much power in the medium. Now, I I have my opinions, but I I absolutely want to hear yours. Right. (sighs) Do you know I honestly keep myself so busy that I I didn't even know what was going on with Dave Chappelle? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm always working. Like I said, I'm a workaholic. It's my addiction. So when I heard what he said, I under, okay, I understand a comedian. I understand that you, um, you want to reflect the times, mm-hmm. but his jokes, ill-timed. That's a great way. Ill-timed. That's a great way of putting it. Ill-timed. And that was the thing. Right now, with so many transgender women being murdered, of color, of color, of color, you know, like, uh, like it just was, it was ill time. Like literally, that's what comes to my mind. You know, like it's, it's like okay, you might have been able to say that, but you flopped and it failed because you shouldn't have said that immediately. You should have waited. If you were going to do that, wait till the community is thriving. Wait till they have their rights. We have our rights. And, you know, like, like, but honestly, after the baby debacle, he should have, he should have left that alone. After the baby debacle, the singer, the baby, the rapper, the baby, after that debacle, Dave Chappelle should have rewrote his entire show. Let me say a couple of things that are controversial because, you know, we had this panel last night, so it's very fresh in my mind. You know, as adults, we can feel two ways. That's actually healthy to recognize that you feel two Mm -hmm. ways. I thought his uh, special was funny. 
And I yeah. feel the pain uh, for my trans brothers and sisters who felt um, right. stigmatized and emotional pain as a result of, of some of the jokes that he used. I will always support right. my community. I yeah, have a couple right. other things that I think are important to note, one of which is he's a black comedian. And yeah. then the white gay and trans community jumps up and they are horrified, horrified. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but add in the racial issue because of the fact that when so many trans women of color were being killed, I didn't see the outrage in the white gay community. I didn't see anything. I didn't see people shutting stuff down and celebrities saying, I stand with my, it's pretty quiet. Crickets. Pretty quiet. Crickets. Right? Crickets. Yep. Mm -hmm. So now a black mm -hmm. comedian gets up and says some offensive things, which I will never condone because it hurt my people. But I think right. we have to acknowledge who runs Netflix, who made the right. outrage, who's upset, who's pointing at this guy who's now being canceled, who's giving him all this power to speak for all black men. Yes, there is an issue with our trans women of color being vilified, being targeted. It's horrifying. It's not okay. Um, was it good timing? No, ill timing is the best word that I've heard. But I cannot yeah. take off the lens of white supremacy wow. and how the white gay community manages to empower itself when it finds itself offended, but not on behalf of the people who are targeted the most, which are black right. people and trans women of color. Right. Right. Yeah, that's and that's unfortunate. And you said it best his remarks like they were they were off color remarks mm -hmm. but my thing is let it had have been colin farrell i hate to say names you know but let, i'm just saying let it had have been a white comedian the backlash would have never occurred like that his rep would have issued a statement a public apology and that would have been it we would have been on to get next the next news mm -hmm. segment it wouldn't have been um what it was and my thing is i'm not trying to call up his past but we all know that dave Chappelle took a very long hiatus because of mental health we all know that so with him trying to get his career back on track you know and for him to be so vehemently attacked it's just okay this is how i can say it he didn't help the situation okay i feel that <laughs> No, I feel okay. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He didn't help himself. Look, <laughs> you know, and I'll say it again. If my trans brothers and sisters are hurting, I'm hurting. So right. there is no divide in that. And, and particularly right. my trans brothers and sisters of color. I will always have your back. When I post right. after another person gets killed, I say, where's all the white gay voices? Why are we all in right. an uproar? Why isn't this right. person pasted all over the news? Why aren't you know things shutting down like they do whenever a person who is not of color has a feeling right. that is hurt? Why, why is right. that not right. the same? And until that happens, I'm just gonna keep saying it because I think it's important right. to be heard. Right. You know, right. I mean, what, look, one of the things that happens is in the LGBTQ plus community, particularly in communities of color, we run to the white gay community for housing because our community yeah. has not been well versed in what it means to have this as a variable. We are in our community. Right. We are part of your community. Our community. 
basically. Our community doesn't accept it. They weren't taught to accept it. If we go back in history, it was the white Christians who told our community not to accept it. And our community held on to it because that's what we do to try to survive. So there's a history and a legacy that I will not get erased. I will not let get erased that I will not go with the narrative that our community does not accept us. I think our community doesn't have the knowledge and the education to know that we are members of their community. We didn't choose this. This is who we are. Right. That, that's the thing. And, and, and you, what you just said right there, I spend so much time pushing that narrative. I was born this way. I was born this way. It look how effortlessly yeah. I do it. Lawless. I, like, Lawless. It, you know, yeah. it, it is who I am. Yeah. It is. It, it's not, you know, it's not some prefabrication. Right. Like this is who I am. Right. You know, I'm one of the weird ones. I'm a transvestite. So I enjoy going out, you know, regular. And then I enjoy this, you know, I enjoy, like for me, I'm the, have your cake and eat it too. (laughs) guy, Cause I I get to do both, you know? And for me, I mean, there are a lot of, I I must say too, especially to my uh, transgender women of color, I definitely feel their pain because they're not like me. They choose to be women. They are women. Mm -hmm. Well, here's how I say it. They choose to be their authentic selves. So they show up every single day as that. Whereas if I'm walking down the street and there's a group of men coming towards me, I snatch my wig and my makeup mm-hmm. off and, and walk past. Wow. Now, I usually am still singled out because I'm a feminist, right. but I have more of a chance to survive than they do. Yes. And that's not good. It's not okay. That's It'll not. never be okay. And this is yeah. not but, this is and. People of color, Black people particularly, are experiencing a genocide in this country, and it's still too quiet for me. It's so horrible. And the most targeted. My grandmother grandmother and I talk about it all day, like every day, it's so horrible. And, and, you know, trans women of color happen to be one of the ones who are targeted the most, and it'll never be okay with me. Yeah. So let's shift gears. Go ahead. You want to add something else? Yeah. Okay. No, I was just going to add real quickly. I, I have to have to do this because uh, our fearless leader, um, T.S. Madison was on The Breakfast Club a couple of days ago, and she said something that I applauded her for. She said the Black community needs to understand that we are queer or trans or gay and Black. Like, we are both. You don't get a chance. You don't get the option to just support our Blackness. You have to also support our queerness. So I just wanted to put that into the record because I I want her to know that she really touched me when she said that. And it just, it was so true. It was so true. Like, we, that was the thing. Like, even when the Black Lives Matter movement happened, I was on my podcast screaming up a storm because I'm like, I don't want to march side by side with you and Black Lives Matter and then have to watch my back because after Black Lives Matter is over, you're bashing me in the head because I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I was upset about the whole thing. I'm like, you know, and I kept saying, when if if there's a fight (laughs) between us and any other race, especially, you know, Caucasians, they're not going to care that you are, that I'm, that you're straight and I'm gay. They're going to see color and they're going to kill us both. That's the part. You know? That's like, the part. That's the part right there. Yeah. We need to emphasize. Yeah. In the end, yeah. it's race first. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. It's race first. Yeah. And that's what we have to it remember is. as a community and fight for as a community. And the one thing I will yeah. say about this, you know, Dave Chappelle thing is it, it became about race because I think primarily he's talking to the white, gay, dominant culture community. But, but there's a right. lack, there's an ignorance about, hey, 
you're also talking about our brothers and sisters, you know, like right. you're trying to talk about oppressive natures and, you know, when the gay community wants something, they get it. That's not us. No, it's not, that's us. not us, bro. You know, that's what's being missed. Yeah. And you can bet when he sits yeah. down with the gay, with the trans community to talk, I'm sure there's not gonna be a bunch of faces that look like us. Right. And so then once again, we're silenced. Our voices are not heard. And I'm not trans, you know, I'm a big old butch. Right. But I feel, right. I feel strongly about that. You know, if one of us goes down, we all go down. I'm a man in a dress, but I definitely feel strongly about it. I feel very strongly about it because no, like, I feel, I do, I do. And I, and I always will. I always will. I, I know some of the most beautiful transgender women, and I'm not just talking about their exterior. I'm talking about their yeah, hearts so. will give you the shoes off their feet, mm -hmm. you know, will feed you, will clothe you, will take you in. And they're they're basically unsung heroes. I agree. Thank you. Being murdered by their own. Yeah. You. Being murdered by their own. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking. We got to do better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to put a period on that. And I'm going to shift gears and ask you, so what are you looking forward to next? What's your goal? You're going to be really shocked. Okay. So uh, this has been my goal since the whole thing even started. I'm talking 20 years ago. Uh, I want to move. The next thing on, on the target for me is moving my grandmother and I to Las Vegas because Las Vegas is a show town. And I also don't like the Pennsylvania weather, the four seasons. Mm. It does take a toll on me. Like you said, it does mental health wise. It takes a toll on me, all this darkness and cold and I don't want it anymore. So we're going to move. We're supposed to move next year to Las Vegas. And once she is stashed there, I will then start to call on my connections to get my business and move my business to France. I want to live mm. in France. I belong in France. I am a huge Josephine Baker yeah. fan. I went to France the first time because of Josie Baker and I, I loved it. It is exactly where I belong. It is what I am working for. It is why I work so hard because I belong in France. That makes sense. So I have all this music. I have all this stuff that I've created, all this intellectual property and I want to go to France. That, and that's, that's what that fits. That fits so much. I can see that for sure. Yes. I, I left my heart there the first time I went. I can see that. So yes. I want to know, what is Cyber Girl doing to change the narrative? Okay. Cyber Girl, actually, I chose that name because it's one of my songs. My okay. song is called Cyber Girl. But in my music, especially, I like to I like to push envelopes. So the the point was, okay, so what was that? I want to say back in 2008, 2009, I was not a full-time entertainer at that time working and pulling in money. So what I had to do was I had to go get another job. So when I had... Um, when I went for the job, I, I had to pick what job I wanted. I didn't want to work at the grocery store. I didn't want to work at Home Depot. I didn't want to work in, you know, different things. I didn't want to do that. I needed something that allowed me the freedom of being able to run to New York or run to DC or run to different places. So I have saw an ad in the newspaper and it says, we're, oh, you're going to laugh because you know what this is. It says, we are looking for phone actresses. <laughs> <laughs> so I was desperate and I called the number and they, I asked the questions. Now, mind you, I've always had a light voice right now. I'm hoarse. So it's a little, it's a little husky, okay. but usually it's higher. Um, so I got on the phone 
and I'm asking them questions and they're telling me, oh, you have to come for an audition and, you know, different things. And I'm getting all the information first. And then I said to them, I said, I have one more question for you. And they were like, sure, sweetheart, what's wrong? I said, do you hire men? They said, well, we occasionally hire men. To tell you the truth, men just don't really have the ability to carry what we need vocally. I said, well, I'm a man. And she said, uh, no, you're not. She said, babe, been in this business 25 years. If you were a man, I'd be able to tell. I said, ma'am, madam, I am a man. She said, if you come down here tomorrow to orientation and you are a man, you will not even have to go through orientation. I will hire you on the spot. I said, where's the address? She gave me the secret location. Mm -hmm. And I went. I got hired on the spot. I was a phone sex agent. <laughs> I was a female phone sex agent for two years. Wow. But what I want to also put a pin in right here is I rarely spoke to any Black men. Mm. I spoke to a lot of men that were Caucasian. And I'm going to say this, the highest volume of calls that came into our center were for transvestites and transsexuals. But I had to be well-versed and play everything. Fantasy Girl was the regular call. Then I had to be a dominatrix. Then I had to do this. I had an Asian accent. I had a British accent. Like what I liked about it was that my boss, she's, she died um, of cancer, mm. um, colon cancer. But before she died, she made it a psychological in-depth study. We had to learn about men and we had to learn about these different areas. And my thing is me being an LGBT plus member, I didn't even know all that I learned, you know, studying and researching for the job. Mm -hmm. I realized and learned more then. And I also learned that the world was actually looking for me. <laughs> I love it. I that, oh, honey, you're exactly what we want. That's That was the, the message yeah. that I got yeah. from the And so it didn't matter what men said to me in person because I knew y'all called the line. I know what y'all want. <laughs> so, but it gave me a confidence to do this. I love and when I, and like I said, I went viral. I love that. First time we got went viral. I love it. And I've been, I've been, I talk to 21 million likes a year, 70 million people a year. Uh, yeah, I've been good. Yeah, so I've so so you what you represent is how the narrative can get changed, and I respect that. Yep. I respect that. So tell yep. us where people can find you. I'm going to wrap this up because we've been doing this a long time now. No problem, no problem. I am a one a one stop shop. Thequeenofshade.com. Perfect. The Queen of Shade, all one word, thequeenofshade.com. It'll take you to everything I do. It'll take you to all my music, my albums, all my social media, ways you can donate, give, help me out, all kinds of stuff. It's all there, thequeenofshade.com. Well, Queen, it has been a pleasure for both of us. Right, Suze? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, you know, I mean, I could go back on every question. I, I'm, I was riveted. But when you said you were going to Vegas, I wanted to ask you if you ever thought of doing a residency, because you should. Get this. I See, I wanted, that was the point. But I, I knew I had to get my bones about me. You, you can't just get a residency being a nobody. Exactly. So, you know, being a nobody. So what I wanted to do was, I wanted to move to that town because I could get work there. If they yeah. needed someone to sing or do something on the get way in. to a residency. You got to get in. 
Yeah. You yeah. got to get it. But um, Paris is where I really I can hear that. Like, I can hear that. Yeah. Well, listen, Queen. And then I've been burned. I've been burned by the Hollywood entertainment industry here, too. Um, and the record industry. I, like, no. I'm one of those ones where I, I, I learned early through the hard, hard lessons that, no, you need to own your property, your own yeah, intellectual right. property. You need to do all of that. So. But also, you need to follow your heart, Queen. You need to follow your heart. Yeah. And that's, that's what your heart's telling you. And Paris is please. I like even my grandmother says it. Like even my therapist says it to me. She says the first day you set foot back in Paris is going to be a very emotional day because I had to leave because of my mental illness. You know, it was right when I was starting to come into public light as a model. I had to leave and come home, and it was so horrible the way that it happened. I'm in the hospital there. Mm. And socialized healthcare. I didn't get a bill. Okay, they took. The best care of me. They took the best care of me I've ever, wow. ever, ever been taken care of. They took the best care of me, but I had to come back here. And I, I remember coming back here and I literally like died. I died. It was just like, oh my God, I'm back here. But It'll the divine had a plan. Well, you're on your way. Listen, yeah. listen, I want to emphasize how much we appreciate your vulnerability, your self-disclosure, your willingness to jump at the chance to come on right away. You gave me no problem at all. I didn't have to beg you. And uh, no. I, I just want to tell you that I appreciate you. I see you. And, um, you know, I just think you're awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate this opportunity being here. I, I love how professional it is. <laughs> I love how, like I like, like I like when people handle me the right way. You know, when we as entertainers or intellectual entertainers, we we go to people and we, we want them, you know, we want to be handled the right way. That's what we're fighting for in the business is being handled the right way. And people always let us down. But you guys, I have to tell you, you've handled me very well tonight. Oh. And I appreciate that. You made me feel so um, special. You are. And I truly appreciate And I just want to say thank you for the opportunity of having Absolutely. It's a blessing. So so you have to promise to come back. Yeah. Oh, All right. Oh yeah. So make sure that I, I'm a creature of habit. You know me by polar type one. <laughs> therapy. I'm a creature of habit. Wait, one, habit. Wait, one last Let's one last question though. What's your birthday? September 29th, 1982. I just turned 39 years old. Happy birthday. I'm a Libra. All right. Balance it. All right. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will get you back. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller.